Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. Well, for those who don't know me, I am Savannah Ramsey, adoring wife to Joel Ramsey and mother of two little rapscallions. Super cute. If you want to see them, follow me on Instagram. It's basically their page. Um, And I'm just so excited to be here tonight. I can feel God's doing something, hey. You can just feel it in the air. It's like you could just reach out and grab it. I um, had something really interesting happen probably just over a week ago now. When Joel and I used to live in South Africa, our home overlooked the ocean. And you could literally see, it felt like you could see to the ends of the earth. And the freight ships would come in and they were huge, but they looked tiny. And every day I would just look out over the Indian Ocean and it felt so surreal. And uh, Belito, where we were, is an extremely windy place. And these huge storms would come, but they would sort of uh, start to gather on the ocean and we could see them coming from miles away. We'd watch them stir and stir over the ocean. They'd get louder and louder. And then eventually, usually in the middle of the night, they'd make it to land and the whole house would literally shake. Like you would tremble from the core of who you were. As the thunder and lightning clapped, it would reverberate through your whole being. And there was probably two two or three times where Joel and I were literally woken in the night praying, just praying in tongues, because as the thunder and lightning came, as these storms were felt like hurled at us off the ocean, you could feel the tangible reverence and awe and might of God. It's the only way I can describe it. And we would wake in the night with the only reaction being to pray. It was like from the the depths of our souls, we knew how small we were. And just over a week ago, I was woken in the night by that very familiar feeling. I woke up in the night, and I could feel it. I could feel reverence in the room, but no storm, dead silence. And then I heard these words, God's great and holy presence is coming. The fire of God, prepare your heart. It was so clear and so sobering. I didn't pray, I didn't move a muscle, I just sat there. You know, like David says, sit on your bed, lie on your bed and look deep in your heart. And I lay on my bed very still and I looked very deep into my heart. I honestly believe we are on the cusp of the greatest awakening the world has ever seen. I feel like a stuck record saying it. Revival is coming, revival is coming. But I believe it with my whole, whole heart. We are in the groundswell This is the storm building out on the ocean. Revival is coming. Prepare your heart. I'm just going to pray for a minute. Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. 
Come with your presence, Lord. Come. It's all useless without you, precious Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Jesus. Have your way tonight. Have your way tonight. Do what only you can do. We honor you, Lord. Sweet Jesus. Amen. If you can, turn in your Bible to John 11. I want to read quite a large portion of Scripture. And um, might be the most some of you have read all week. <laughs> but we're going to go through and I want to unpack some stuff. And it might seem a little bit long and a bit dry, but you won't think that by the end, let me tell you. Because God's on a mission. And no one is safe. So just throw that out right now. <laughs> you there? If you don't know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth one. John 11, verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. It's very interesting that before telling this story, they mentioned that. That hasn't even happened yet, but they preface this story with letting you know who Mary is and what she did later on. There's a marriage between what takes place here and what later comes. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. We, um, we've never, we never really hear of Lazarus before this. There's another Lazarus who's a beggar, but it's pretty agreed upon that they're not the same guy. Um, we, yeah, we just don't hear anything about Lazarus before this point, but it says, Lord, the one who you love is sick. Why do we not hear about him before this point if they have this relationship? I mean, we only really hear John referred to as the one Jesus loved, but we know exactly who John is. Now, Jesus, I'm just going to be making commentary as we read, because <laughs> I'm filling you guys in, in case you don't know the story. And if you want to see how I personally read my Bible, it's pretty much like this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, mentioning the love again. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. This is an unnatural response. Jesus hears about this one whom he supposedly loves is desperately ill. They wouldn't have sent word to him unless it looked like he was gonna die. And upon hearing that news, he stays two more days. I have a kid in daycare, and if they call me and say she's sick, I don't go, well, I'll pick her up in a few hours. I'm there. I mean, if I was a cartoon, my skin would still be wherever it was. I move so quickly. <laughs> this is a totally unnatural response. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? 
Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night, they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. So Jesus is speaking in parables as he normally does, and he's basically confronting their fear of man. He's like, you walk with the one who is light. Why are you worried? His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, not to Jesus, the rest of the disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. I can so relate to Thomas when things get tough and you get a bit pessimistic. Let's go too, so we can all die, Jesus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. See, this question, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's even followed with, but I know if you ask, God will give you anything you, you ask for. It sounds right, but something interesting happens here. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of my favorite verses of all time. I just pictured Jesus like a boss. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to, into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher, the teacher is here, said, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the exact same thing as Martha said. They both said that, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why did they get different responses? Because Jesus looks at our hearts, not at what we're saying. You know, Martha says it and Jesus addresses her belief system. It's like a doctrinal thing. Yes, I know in the resurrection. No, I am the resurrection. He's correcting doctrine. But with Mary, she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And instead of correcting her, 
Jesus is moved with compassion. And he says, he's, it says he's greatly troubled, and he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Again. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? A legitimate question. And a question we'd probably all ask. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for there has been four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I've said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. This week has been an insanely weird week. I don't know if many of you know what's been happening in South Africa, but I got messages from my friends in the middle of the night and videos, seeing our old neighborhoods burnt down, completely raided and looted. I was getting messages from friends of mine saying, we have no food. We're hungry. I can't feed my baby. There's no formula. No nappies. And one of our friends who's a pastor called and he said, Joel Savannah, I know you have a heart for South Africa. I know you love this place so much. So pray, please pray. And if you have a word, send it. We're gathering to pray, whoever can make it, because all the roads were blocked off with all the riots, and it wasn't dangerous. I mean, it wasn't safe to be on the roads, so no one was really leaving their house. But he said, there's a few of us who have armed up and we're gathering to pray. Please seek God. And I got in the shower and I just began to cry out to God and pray and I had nothing to pray. I mean, what do you say? And I'd been reading this verse all through the week, over and over and over. And I felt like Mary, God, if you had been there. But Mario Marilla says this, He says, in this hour, it is not just enough to be saved and spirit-filled. 
every warrior of God needs to know what he is up to. And so I stood in the shower and I said, God, what's happening? What are you doing? 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 And I was reminded that just a week before, I was woken in the night with that same familiar feeling I'd felt in Africa looking out over the Indian Ocean. And he reminded me, God's great and holy presence is coming. The fire of God, prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. See, the thing with this verse is Jesus is slowly, line by line, revealing everyone's hearts, everyone's motives, everyone's beliefs, unbelief, wrong belief, their faith in the wrong place, their faithlessness. He's revealing their fears, their hopelessness. And he's doing it in love. He chose Lazarus and their family to reveal his glory because he loved them. We read the story and you think, I don't want my brother to die. And Jesus knew and he waited. I don't want that to be me. But it says that he chose their family in love to reveal his glory. It repeats it four times, it says. And all the way through, he reveals our hearts. You don't believe here. You believe this about this. You feel lost. You feel unloved. You feel broken. You, all these things are hiding in your heart. And what you don't even know is I'm here to reveal my glory. Just after that, in chapter 12, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. Before the story, they reference it because there's a connection between the condition of our hearts and the anointing we'll carry. You know, in the Old Testament, they used to, well, actually, I have a French perfume. It's oil-based. They make it differently to the other commercial ones. It was really expensive, and I just had to have it. And it's this oil-based perfume. And the thing with oil-based perfumes is that you really can't get rid of the smell no matter what you do. And it doesn't just stay on you. It stays in your hair. Anyone you touch smells like you. It, and it lasts for days. If, if it goes on your clothes, you can put them through the wash all you like. That smell is not going anywhere. If your hair touches your clothes, you can wash your hair. That smell is not going. My kids smell like me days after I've hugged them. And the other thing is people can smell me coming because they smell you before you get there. And then when you leave the room, the smell's still there. It's like, it's like a force. But anointing was very similar in the Old Testament, you know, in Psalms 133, it says that the anointing oil dripped over Aaron's face and down his beard and onto his collar. 
And back then, anointing oils would have been fragranced as well, with only the best, only the best. And you would have smelt it. We would have known who was anointed just by the scent because they were drenched in it. It wasn't like, you know, anointing service. They do the nice cross. Everyone's lined up and it's like, I am, we actually, (laughs) our church in South Africa had an anointing oil service and I was so pumped um, because I love the anointing. And we went in and I thought, you know, like it's all ordered. I get my usher who anoints me and all of that. And in the middle of the service, the pastor starts calling out specific people who he feels to anoint. And he calls me and my friend forward and he says, I want to anoint you. And he starts praying. And as he's praying, my eyes are closed, but then I open them and I notice his hand is dripping with oil. Like he's holding it like this and there's oil dripping onto the stage. And before I can really react, he just says, in the name of Jesus, and right on the top of my head, I kid you not, I hit the deck. You know, they say there's more on the floor and they're right. But when I came out of it and headed to lunch, I was like, pimples, oil hair, and so was everyone else. That was like what I pictured the Old Testament. <laughs> Not the little cross, but we, you could see. Everyone at the restaurant knew we had been anointed. There was no guessing. We definitely were. But in the Old Testament, they would have known who was anointed because of the smell. And it was on their collar, it was in their hair, it was on their skin. Whoever hugged them would have also carried that scent. Whoever lived with them would have carried that scent. All their garments would have carried that scent. You would have smelt them coming, and if they had been there, the smell would still linger. Everyone knew, you, there was no way to hide your anointing. An anointed man of God was perceived a mile away depending on your nostrils. And we know the story when Mary goes in and she breaks the oil, the perfume over Jesus' feet and anoints him for his burial. And I love this picture because she goes in and she puts it all on the line. And here's the thing, the smell alone would have drawn people to come and look because they would have thought there was an anointed man of God there and what they would have come to see is Mary making a spectacle of herself. But she didn't care. It cost her everything. Financially, it cost her everything. It cost her her reputation. And yet she puts it all at the feet of Jesus. She puts it all at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, the band can come. She would have smelt like him for weeks afterwards. Everyone would have known that's the girl. She was at the feet of Jesus. Even after his death, she was the one that was with him. The smell of him would have lingered wherever she went. She wouldn't have been able to hide it. 
See, in the Old Testament, a priest, a prophet, or a king was anointed, but in the New Testament, the anointing comes at the feet of Jesus. And it's one that you can't hide or cover up. And it's one that costs you everything. But ultimately, people will know that is the person who is being with Jesus. They'll know. I wanted to, I want to read you something I read about um, Catherine Kuhlman this week, and it, as I was reading it, I just began to weep. If you don't know who Catherine Kuhlman is, she's one of the greatest ministers of all time, I would say. She, um, yeah, just walked incredible power of the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of her life was really that she loved Jesus in a way that was so confronting. And she walked in anointing like no other. They actually, in Las Vegas, they packed out this stadium, everyone came because people were getting up out of wheelchairs and all of that. And they realized they couldn't bring her through the front because there was just too many people. So they took her through the back, through the kitchens. And as she walked through the kitchens, everyone fell out under the power of God. Wherever she went, there was like this holy chaos that followed, but people's lives were changed whether they agreed to it or not. And I read this just this week. It says, when Catherine Kuhlman passed away in 1976, all of the power went out in an 800-bed hospital. Her heartbeat should have read as a regular and then moved to flatline. Her heart had been fine although her other organs were failing. But she never went to an irregular heartbeat. Catherine was gone in the blink of an eye. 15 minutes after she passed away, the brand new nurse, her first day on the job, who was an unbeliever, went in to take her pulse. Catherine wasn't cold, Catherine wasn't warm, Catherine wasn't hot. The air in the room was thick with the fragrance of roses. Not a few roses, millions of roses. The head nurse in charge came on the unit to write up the time of the death. The time was 1.13 a.m. on February 20th. She chastised the new nurse for allowing roses in the ICU unit. Flowers are not allowed. The scent of roses didn't fill one room or one floor, but four floors of the hospital were taken over by this scent. The scent then permeated across the underpass that was connected to the hospital and then across the street into the adjoining hospital. There were no roses on the floor in Catherine's room, but that's where the fragrance originated from. The new nurse said that she and the other nurse could barely stand in the room because the presence of the Holy Spirit was so overwhelming. The weight of glory when they checked the notes from the previous nurse. She had scribbled Catherine Kuhlman's final words and her last request. I shall die on February 20th at 1.13. Please have only roses at my funeral. The new unbelieving nurse dropped in a chair, weeping, and gave her life to Jesus. 
know to leave the world in that kind of glory. To bring just one more into the kingdom at your death. Catherine was met with a million roses in the voice of her love in heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. As the worship team comes, I'm going to invite you in just a minute to come sit at the feet of Jesus. I believe that there is an anointing here for anyone who wants it. For anyone whose heart cry is for the more. For anyone who's done to death with the mundane. For anyone who's over the hysteria. There's more on the floor. Are we to be the lovers that carry the fragrance of Christ with us? An undeniable fragrance. To where we don't even open our mouths and people know who he is by what we carry. By the fact that we've sat with him and we cannot hide it. If something is stirring in you, I want to invite you to the altar, come. Get on your knees. Don't worry about what people think. This is not the hour. This is not the place in history for caring what your neighbor thinks. That ship has sailed. It's revival or nothing now. I don't know if you've put that together yet. Take a look around at the world, it's revival or nothing. Not optional. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message empowers you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We would love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We're so excited to see you there.